Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to finish up with Genesis chapter 4. This is an important lesson on Cain and Abel and how it impacts us even today. So let's get started. And he said, what have you done? This is the Lord speaking. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Okay, this is all the Lord speaking directly to Cain after he slew his brother Abel. We cannot pass over this quickly. It's just so profound. Here is revealed a beautiful aspect of our God's character. As holy and just, he issued a judgment on Cain. But note the judgment. This is not eye for eye and tooth for a tooth. That's part of the Mosaic Law that came later. Here was God's personal judgment upon an individual apart from the law. In it, we should note that the judgment was based upon the individual's awareness of God's commands. That is, the judgment was linked to the knowledge of what God expected, desired, or said. For Cain, this went back to the previous verses, where it was clear that offering the fruit of the ground to God was not acceptable. Abel heeded the word to offer the bloody sacrifice, and obeyed by faith. Cain insisted upon his own way and was reproved. Afterwards, being stiff-necked in his rebellion and hatred, he polluted the very ground from which he wanted to bring fruit to please God. His violence contaminated the very thing he wanted to use in worship. And it's always the way it is with the things we rebelliously run after. We pollute them. Our sinful attitude ruins them whether it's people, places, or things. Now, no mention has yet been made by God that it was wrong to kill, though undoubtedly the conscience of Cain cried guilty. The only rules, so to speak, at this point involved the appropriate uses of the ground and worship. So, the punishment also dealt with the ground and Cain's relationship to it, God did not require Cain's life, but to the contrary, he protected it. So what's the point? The point is that God's judgments are always fair and just. Now, God is sovereign, and we have no place in saying God should judge this way or that. His thoughts are infinitely higher than ours. See Isaiah 55 for that. But the Bible does say that when we get to heaven and observe God's judgments from there, folks will be singing, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Saints. That's Revelations 15.3. Cain was judged according to what he knew. Ignorance was a factor. Now, the neat thing about this is that it helps me understand how Paul can assert that Quote, all Israel will be saved. Romans eleven twenty six and 27. Of course, 
With this, we're looking primarily at the unbreakable promise of God. But God's promise has to be reconciled with his holiness and righteous judgment as well. You see, Paul also explained that blindness was placed upon Israel. That's Romans 11, 7, and 8. So they have been kept in the dark in a matter of speaking. This was in order that the Gentile church could come into the kingdom. Now, how this all works out in the eternal realm? I don't know. But I do know that God's judgment will be universally declared as just. And not simply because people feel like they have to say that. Remember, there's no lying in heaven. No sin at all. Everyone will honestly be totally impressed with how God judges everyone and everything. Well, Genesis continues. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. The Barnhouse wrote this, One of the consequences of sin is that it makes the sinner pity himself instead of causing him to turn to God. One of the first signs of new life is that the individual takes sides with God against himself. The words for fugitive and vagabond are both primary root words in the Hebrew, which mean to waver. Cain was saying, I'll have no roots, no place to call home. His rebellion continued when he built a city to settle in, defying God's command to stay on the road, so to speak. Perhaps it was to surround himself with people sympathetic to him. Generally, people who are like-minded tend to come together anyway. You see, Cain was afraid of others who would avenge Abel's death. That is, the other brothers and cousins and nephews. He feared that he would reap what he had sown. Well, Genesis continues, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now this should dispel the notion that when you commit sin, God's looking to get even with you. There are so many who feel this way about the Lord. They know their lives have been sinful, and they look at God as an avenger. They miss the concept of God's grace and forgiveness. They fail to understand the unbalanced love of God. Of course, sin brings its own consequences. Like gravity, certain laws of physical existence are set in place. One of those laws is, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's Galatians 6-7. But in demonstration of his love for Cain, God intervened and placed a distinguishing mark upon him to preserve him from the natural consequences of his sin. In this passage, Cain can be seen as representative of those who reject the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ and persecute true believers. Those who follow in the footsteps of Cain have a twisted perspective of God and alienate themselves from him. In these last days, they will also receive a mark. 
but it won't come from God. Rather, they will be outmarked by Antichrist. And instead of a protection for murder, it will be a guarantee of eternal damnation. We see this described in the book of Revelation, where it says, Then I, that's John the Revelator, saw another beast coming up out of the earth, well, possibly representing Israel, and he had two horns like a lamb, possibly pretending to be a Christian, and spoke like a dragon, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. That's all from Revelations 13, 11 through 18. But while these rebellious people reject the sacrifice of God's Son, the true Lamb, and reap the wages of their sin, the Lord will demonstrate His mercy by putting His own mark on those who look to Him, thereby protecting them from the judgments He pours out on a Christ-rejecting sin-filled world. Genesis goes on. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, that is, Enoch. Now, Enoch means dedicated, which is appropriate for the picture. You see, False religions have throughout history demonstrated perverse dedication, whether in the sacrifice of their own children upon red-hot arms of, say, the god Moloch, or the pursuit of hedonistic pleasure, or in the suicide bombings, or in the sale of papal indulgences, or in the wearing of holy underwear, or in the distribution of magazines door-to-door, and on and on it goes. Those duped by Satan can be very devoted. Well, Genesis goes on. To Enoch was born Irad, I-R-A-D, and Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methusael, and Methusael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. As with all studies of pictures and symbols, we must be careful not to extrapolate them too far. They are pictures that provide potential insight to the antitypes or fulfillments of the types. Well, Genesis goes on. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 
77-fold. What I think we're intended to glean from this short passage is the trend of sin. Despite the apparent progress of humanity, learning how to make articles of bronze and iron, developing music and culture, we find an indication of an escalation in violence, pride, and lust. Lamech was not content with, um, let's say, forgiving the hurt that was done to him or even to return it equally, but he had to kill the one who wounded him. He was not content with being avenged only sevenfold. He was not content with one wife. Sin propelled Lamech and the whole pre-Diluvian world into a downward spiral of self-destruction, and Satan was fanning the flame. Genesis goes on, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Then Genesis 6 adds this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. As a consequence, the earth was filled with violence. The relevance to today is that we see the same thing happening. Knowledge is increasing at a phenomenal rate, just as Daniel prophesied would happen in the last days. You can see Daniel 12.4. It is conservatively estimated that 90% of the scientists that ever lived are alive today. In many areas of study, man's cumulative knowledge is literally doubling each year. He's developing all sorts of new possessions, trying to fill the void and meaninglessness of his wicked heart. Man thinks he's becoming more cultured, that he's evolving, when in fact he's butchering himself and devoluting in the same pattern as humanity did before the Great Flood, His mind is increasingly filled with the most perverted violence, lust, and with powerful pride. Jesus said himself, As the days of Noah were, that is, before the flood, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be, that is, when Christ comes again. That's in Matthew 24, 37. And Genesis goes on, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. The forces of evil cannot ultimately win, though they strike out and try to silence the righteous. God simply raises up another. Seth was not necessarily the next born child to Adam and Eve, that is, but they did recognize him as being the appointed seed. That's what the name Seth means. That is, they acknowledged that the promise of God would be fulfilled through his line. Cain had disqualified himself. Abel was martyred, and now God proved his faithfulness by bringing about a new birth, a new man. Enosh means mortal. This implies that finally man understood he was doomed to die physically. 
And it's at this time that man began to call on the name of the Lord. The word call is not a pious, reverent whisper, but a loud, desperate shout. It's when we really know, we really need God, that we call out in this way. Some men were finally getting it, understanding that they were dependent upon God, facing the fact of death and looking to God for help. Without God's intervention, without his mercy and grace, man had no chance of regaining eternal life. Dr. Ironside said that when his father died, this passage was running through his father's mind, and he kept repeating, a great sheet and wild beasts, and, and, and... That's referring to the Apostle Peter's vision of Acts 10.12. When he could not get the words out, He started over, but stalled once more at the same place. Finally, a friend bent over and whispered, John, it says, creeping things. Oh, yes, he said. That's how I got in. Just a poor, good-for-nothing creeping thing. But I got in. God's grace and mercy at work. Thank you, Lord. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm, and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of his grace today.